This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and center. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. But it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening to the city of London. I'm Alex Steele. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. It just past 5 p.m. My condolences. You are a nation in mourning. We are a world in mourning. Throughout the next hour, we will discuss the legacy of Queen Elizabeth II and what comes next for the UK and look ahead to King Charles's speech uh, coming up at the top of the next hour. World leaders weighing in all throughout the last 24 hours on the beloved Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. I had the opportunity to meet her before she passed, and she was an incredibly gracious and decent woman. Queen Elizabeth II has been a wise and encouraging guide, always wanting the best for our nation. She served us all with strength and wisdom for 70 years. She was the very spirit of Great Britain, and that spirit will endure. To you, she was your queen, to us. She was the queen to us all. She would be with us forever. World leaders weighing in on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Her death now marks the tumultuous 10 days for the UK. You will see a queen buried, a nation mourn its longest reigning monarch, and a new new king proclaimed. At the same time, you're looking at a monarch who presided over the steam engine to the era of the smartphone, an enormous amount of time for one person uh, to hold the throne. What happens now? We want to get more now with Bloomberg Opinion Managing Editor Edward Evans. Edward, give us a TikTok of kind of what happens over the next nine days. This is the formal period of national mourning, and over the next nine days, we will see Charles being proclaimed king formally tomorrow at 10 o'clock at the Accession Council. After that, uh, we would expect to get some more details about the funeral of the late Queen at the end of the period. And then between uh, that, that point and the funeral, you'll see two things. One, Charles getting out and starting to tour his kingdom, so he's expected to embark on a tour uh, of the nation's capitals. And secondly, uh, at the same time, uh, the, the body of the late Queen will be returned from Scotland, from Balmoral, uh, back to London to lie in state for a period before before the funeral. And can you give us a sense of sort of the pageantry that will be associated with all of this? This is not just thrown together last minute. This is something that in no. many ways, many parts of the government have been practicing and waiting on for decades. Um, what kind of pageantry yes. are we looking at here? Well, you're going to see uh, Charles uh, being proclaimed uh, by, by one of the, the heralds, of uh, Royal College of Arms at uh, St. James's Palace. Um, you know, that is just a, a flavour uh, of what's to come. Now, state funeral is obviously a major event involving representatives from the armed forces, from government, and from governments across the world. In fact, I think just a moment ago, a few moments earlier this afternoon, Joe Biden said he would be attending the funeral, among obviously other uh, leaders from around the world. Uh, this evening, there's going to be a memorial service at St. Paul's Cathedral, obviously uh, one of the major uh, religious centres in London. Um, and then on the day of the state funeral itself, there will be processions, 
we'll get more details on all that um, uh, later on in the process. But those will involve, obviously, uh, a lot of the armed forces uh, and people will be, uh, obviously, lining the streets, similar uh, to, to, to in, in, in previous royal occasions. And we also have King Charles speaking um, at the top of the hour at 6 p.m., uh, 1 p.m. here in New York. What are we... How long is he going to speak for? What is it going to look like? What is he going to say? Uh, one can imagine that he will pay uh, tribute to his mother and her, for, for her life and for the work that she has done um, and uh, set out uh, a flavor uh, of himself, as it were. Um, but at this point, you know, obviously we haven't had advanced uh, sight of the speech. Um, so at this point, it's speculation. Really appreciate it. I know it's been quite busy for you guys over there. Edward Evans, Bloomberg Opinion Managing Editor, I really, truly appreciate uh, your time today. Also, someone working triple duty here is John Authors, also of Bloomberg Opinion. Um, John, I always love talking to you, and I definitely want to get your perspective here. What What are your thoughts? What are your reactions? What What's the legacy that we're looking at from Queen Elizabeth? I, I think one reaction, speak, speaking as an Englishman in, in New York, um, it is quite remarkable how much people care about this, even here in a country that was founded by the act of uh, rejecting the British monarch. Mm-hmm. And um, the degree of um, acceptance and respect that she built up for her person, and I guess for the, for the office and ultimately, therefore, the nation is is quite extraordinary to behold. Uh, I mean, Britain is coming to a a halt, as you would expect. The state isn't coming to a halt. But this is what people talk about, what people care about, which is mm-hmm. which is an extraordinary. Uh, which is an extraordinary bequest, and, and you know, and and an achievement. It, it is, and it's I feel true. like you know, I remember. Where I was when I heard that Princess Diana had died, I will always remember where I was when I heard that the Queen had died. Um, I'm wondering in terms, what also strikes me, and this is something I feel like you're so well placed to discuss, is that this is also Mm -hmm. coming at a such critical point for the UK and the UK economy. Um, This is a lot of turmoil and a lot of churn to have to manage right now. Yes, and and that that worries me considerably. I I, I was... I was I was actually back home in England to start the week and thought I'd excitedly showed my kids a new era because we were there for a new prime minister to, to show up, and then we have we have a new monarch two days later, um, yeah. which is a remarkable pace of transition. I mean, it's extraordinary that 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 kind of changeover happened that swiftly. I do think. Um, there are dangers now because Britain doesn't have a written constitution. It makes things up as it goes along and it has institutions. It trusts that try to uh, adapt and move as necessary with the times, the the monarchy being one of them. Without uh, Elizabeth as the figurehead who commanded quite such loyalty and respect, then some of the issues facing the UK get very problematic indeed. There's the uh, Northern Ireland and um, the possibility of the uh, of, uh, of conflict of uh, serious worsening relations with the European Union that it brings is 
very significant. Obviously, Scotland uh, has its desire for independence uh, and has you know, very canny, uh, very good politician Nicola Sturgeon pushing that forward. That I think again, the notion of um, absenting from uh, the United Kingdom probably gets that much clearer and that much easier to contemplate now. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those are huge areas of areas of concern um where you know also i i think you look at the last few years and the horrible mess that you know the country's governing parties made over over brexit mm-hmm. not talking necessarily about the decision to leave but the, the the mess that was made deciding how to leave and whether to leave after the referendum uh, a lot of that showed stress on the on the on our unwritten constitution, and the stress could be greater when people don't have that kind of automatic deep respect for the for the person of the monarch that, that, which that, also, that we've been used to having. But which also, you know, it's so interesting because she was able to wield this almost passive soft power, uh, mm. yet maintain distance. And I just yeah. wonder, because in theory, all the things you're talking about are things that she shouldn't have been involved in to begin with. And I wonder how yeah. a King Charles changes that or maintains that. I mean, he's been having a different job for 73 years, and he has been very active and vociferous in certain things um, mm. that t- typically Queen Elizabeth, when she took the helm, didn't have that. How does that yeah. play into all this? Cost of living, energy crisis, Brexit, Northern Ireland, all of it. Uh, that's, a, that's what worries me and what will be fascinating. He can't ad- address these issues directly in the speech that's coming up, but we'll begin to, to get a notion of his strategy. Um, I, I, it's a general rule of thumb in British politics that if you need to involve the Queen, you've already got problems. And that yeah. will be the case similarly with her, with the king. That that uh, uh, the monarch does still have under the unwritten constitution a lot of power that it agrees generally not to to weld, or not to wield, or to only wield in a di- direction that uh, seems to be democratically uh, accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, with the queen, there was outrage over um, when. Boris Johnson tried to prorogue Parliament for a month, which is effectively a way to stop um, MPs from uh, thwarting his Brexit plans. That needed the monarch's assent to the extent that you had a, a team of ministers go all the way to the north of Scotland in Barrel Moral to, to mm-hmm. ask her to do this to them. My sense is, first of all, that part of why that constitutional manoeuvre was successfully reversed was because there was just a sense of outrage that the queen herself had been abused mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which may not exist again and secondly i do think that one of the outcomes for that from that incident was a sense that actually she would have been within her rights to say no mr johnson i don't see why i should put his parliament for a month for you why, why do you want to do that yeah you know, um she probably could do that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure King Charles Could. can simply because of the personal levels of authority. And does that play into concerns over 
uh, you know, we have another institution, the Bank of England, which Liz Truss has said, I think, quite dangerously that she has interest in changing its mandate. Mm-hmm. And the inflation is very serious. Does this at the margin add to those concerns? Yes. What, in terms of, sorry, I've now come around to answering the question you posed. Does it, does it feed into the particularly serious cocktail of, of, of problems that Britain has? Yes, it does. I, 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 there are many more important things, such as the cost of natural gas at present. Mm-hmm. But yes, this is uh, this is a nerve-wracking and tense moment where the role of the monarchy, monarch and the power that it still has may be uh, more up for bid, more up for, for question than it has been in um, generations. So before I let you go, John, because I, I know you do have hmm. to run... I want to get a sense. Everything's going to shut down now in the UK for the next 10 days. But BOE is pushed Uh, back. Union strikes are pushed back, et cetera. Can uh, presumably any sort of specifics on an energy plan from those trusts are pushed back. Can the UK afford that right now? Not really. I mean, there's obviously a a direct economic hit from just slowing activity. Um, It is difficult to see... Uh, and, 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 you know, also things like soccer games aren't happening, which is a big deal in Britain. And, and the last night, the problem isn't happening. But, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of standard events that basically shut down. I think, I, I don't see how parliaments can get together and argue over the next week. I think um, Liz Truss has, a, I mean, this is a horrible test for her right mm-hmm. as soon as she arrives. I don't see any reason why she can't do things with the executive authority she has and tastefully doesn't um, make a big song and dance about them when she does them. I, I, I think you can have some kind of a, a rollout of, uh, uh, of what, what's going on with the, what, what, what her proposals on energy are going to be. Uh, but the whole process of presenting them was crucially difficult even before this uh, yeah. this, this event. It's, uh, I, I mean, again, I, I'm hoping to be surprised that this trust has strengths and weaknesses, but communication, I think everybody can agree, is not her greatest strength. She's a wooden speaker. And right. uh, how she handles this will be a very challenging uh, and very unfairly difficult early challenge for her in her in premiership. One I'm sure she does not necessarily want at this exact moment. John, no. I really appreciate it. John Arthur is joining us from Bloomberg Opinion. Thank you so much. Um, we'll talk more about the energy crisis and the energy minister's meeting in Brussels in just a moment. I do want to update you. Chris Waller, um, he's part of the Fed, was just talking about backing another significant rate hike in September, that inflation is way too high and it's premature to judge that it peaked. This is like a, a hawk times two. Um, more on that. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. Uh, I'm Alex Steele. We were talking about Liz Truss and her energy plans. Now let's take a broader look at what's happening in Europe because today in Brussels, energy ministers met. And the goal was to come up with some concrete ideas as to how to deal with the energy crisis, whether that's capping gas prices, capping all energy prices, who to tax, how to tax. 
I got to say, I don't really think anything came out of it. Bloomberg uh, Europe team leader for power, gas and renewables, uh, Rachel Morrison, joins us now. Um, Rachel, one step at a time on this. What was actually discussed today? Well, the energy ministers met to come up with a kind of broad list of proposals that can then be brought forward to discussions next week. So this was always going to be a kind of quick meeting with the emphasis on quick. So they Mm -hmm. didn't have time to get into the real detail of everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing in what's come out of the meeting is that there are very broad suggestions without any of the detail that the market and everybody else really wants to know. Um, So things in there included um, the Russian, the possible cap on Russian imports of gas. But we knew before that that was likely to be controversial. So they sort of mentioned it, but said it needs more work. So really, it it seems like a rubber stamp to just mm-hmm. move discussions on to the next stage. Okay, so that's one part. The other part was um, a general cap in all energy prices. Why was that on the table? So this kind of started with a the intention to split off gas from power generation to make sure that high gas prices weren't pushing power prices up. But it seems the wording is so vague that it's kind of moved away from the cap possibly just being on the non-gas, so renewables, nuclear, coal, to all types of energy. So I think they've left it open, and that's really the impression we've had from sources coming out of the meeting, that Mm -hmm. they wanted to leave it vague and leave basically acres of wriggle room here. Yeah, but like, how do they bridge the acres of wiggle room? I just because something else that also struck me was that I mean, headline after headline, it just seemed like, well, Germany doesn't agree with this, and Poland doesn't like this. I mean, what do they? It seems like what they can agree on is that there's a problem. What else do they agree on? Yes, this morning was a, a rather hectic um, list of what different countries said that they wanted, um, and I think that's how they account for all of those differences by making it. So general that everybody says, yeah, so it's like we want some kind of cap and everybody says, yep, we can agree on that. But, you know, the design of it is mm-hmm. where the controversy would be. Um, and so I, I think that was always going to be expected. But um, we've sort of been hearing people saying that it's, it's all spin and, you know, there's nothing really um, concrete in there. Mm-hmm. I mean could be both at the same time, basically. Um, there's a couple other things I wanted to parse also. One is the energy derivatives market. And then the other one is energy trading firms and their liquidity problems. So take a step by step. What is the energy derivative problem? So the problem is companies and, and mainly utilities, when they hedge their um, the, the energy they have to buy to supply to customers, when the price moves up, the exchange they've hedged on says, right, we need more collateral, we need more cash in order to guarantee this huge position you have. So they have to find the cash and put it and tie it up in um, the clearinghouse of the exchange. So there's only limited things the exchange will or the clearinghouse will accept as collateral. So really this ties up a lot of cash. And we've been hearing that companies just aren't trading and that liquidity is really drying up. So Mm -hmm. these measures are looking to address that to help companies that are facing these liquidity problems with, you know, credit facilities, with government-backed loans that they can access in order to 
free up trading because when there is no liquidity, that keeps prices high. So the idea would be to, you know, give these companies um, liquidity they can use and therefore bring down prices because there'll be more trading. People can get in and out of positions much more easily and that lowers the risk within the market. Is something like that, are, are, are we breaking something too early to break it? As in, like, if you make quick change, I feel like what I've learned in, in, in my career is that every crisis brings on something that then causes the next crisis. What are we worried that they're going to actually try and do to the energy market right now, to the derivatives market, for example? I think it could create, you know, one of the worries is that it creates a different set of risks. So, you know, it depends on your view on whether if prices are so high, people should be taking on big positions and sitting with them, you know, mm-hmm. or is it encouraging them to go uncleared and therefore creating more risk? And I think, I mean, maybe everybody says this and I'm biased, but I think energy is quite complex because it is a physical market as well as obviously having a derivatives market. And there's lots of different players involved in both. But at the end of the day, you know, you get something delivered to you. And and so this, any changes to the pricing, any changes to... Um, who can trade and how easy or difficult it is, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. You fix one problem and exactly. something else pops up. Exactly, um, especially when you're dealing with these enormous markets. Okay, so we're looking ahead next week then to Ursula von der Leyen or the State of the Union address. Is that when we get something tangible? Um, possibly. I think we will get more detail by then, but there's a lot of kind of agreeing before that. We saw earlier this week the kind of five principles that she set out that she wanted um the, the text to include. So, yeah, it'll be really about putting meat on the bones onto those sort of five key points. Um, really great stuff. I do not envy your job right now. It is really complicated. And I also just can't, it feels like we're working towards let's get past March, let's get past April. And that's assuming that then everything winds up getting solved. Um, are they talking like that? Or is there an, an developing, developing awareness that this is going to be a potentially multi year? problem that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think that that is slowly starting to dawn on people. You know, we are definitely hearing that in the market, um, that as traders look out to where extra supply can come from, it doesn't look like it's going to be solved until sort of 2025, 26, when more LNG import capacity, mm-hmm. um, you know, is built. So that we're starting to hear that that, that message getting through, but really that um, isn't front and centre. You know, politicians mm-hmm. are really focused on this winter and those quick fixes, and then the kind of longer-term changes will yeah. will come in after that. But I think Rachel. you're right; it's it's a crisis not going away. Rachel, gotta leave it there. Thanks so much, Rachel, Rachel Morrison. This is Bloomberg. This is the Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele. I here in New York. Just got a quick check in here on it was quite a week on a news flow wise and on a market uh, sense. And I just want to check in on where we closed up here. European equities closed up by about 1.6% today. The FTSE up by 1.2%. But you can imagine that volume there was a bit light. There's still a pretty strong rally underway here in the U.S. The S&P is above its 50 and 100 day. 
moving averages as the dollar rally that we've seen has kind of takes a break, and that's really helping to lift equities. As I mentioned earlier, Fed Reserve Governor Chris Wallace uh, says he favors another significant interest uh, increase in interest rates. You can imagine that means 75 basis points. And as he says that, the two-year yield in the U.S. climbs a touch, now up by about four basis points. That's a snapshot here of where we are in the markets. Obviously, the big news over the last 24 hours, the passing of Queen Elizabeth as the world mourns. Guy Johnson is back with me now in the studio in the UK. He was also at Buckingham Palace pretty much for the last 24 hours. Guy, what what's your takeaway right now? Um, a sense of a sense of shock, but not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a country that has has understood that the Queen was very frail and would not be with us for that much longer. Um, but when the moment arrives, it, it is a sense of shock, and I, and I think we're certainly feeling that. I, I think the the um, the sense of shock is exacerbated by what else is going on. This is a country that in some ways has a lot of problems to deal with right now. We've just got a new prime minister. We've got strikes. We've got all kinds mm-hmm. of things going on. And in some ways, th- this sounds odd to say, but this is something that we would rather focus on. Um, this no, is, that doesn't sound odd at all. That actually makes a lot of sense. With everything else that's going on, this is a, a, a sense of this is an anchoring effect i think for the country it there, there is a lot of tradition involved um there are um a, a lot of processes and symbolism that we will go through there, there is a lot of sadness um but but there is a lot of sort of history involved in this sort of whole process so i think we can kind of fall back on that but it's just a brief delay it is a hiatus mm-hmm. ultimately there are some huge questions that this country has to ask uh, uh, sort of answer and we're going to do it with a new king and with a new prime minister. Well, here's my question with that, too, is that does it also have the effect of unifying a country that has been divided and that still is divided yep. dealing with this cost of living crisis? Like, OK, I, I know that the strikes are all delayed, but do the strikes come back? Do you is there a sense of unity now in a different way that can be more prolonged? It would be really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I, this is shocking for Liz Truss as the incoming prime minister to have to deal with this within days of becoming prime minister. But in other ways, it is a massive opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, a country that is coming together, a country that is deeply divided, coming together around something like this is certainly an opportunity. If she can do, deal with it well, if she can handle it well, if she can do it with the, with the requisite level of dignity, there are opportunities here for her. Um, these problems are not going away, but maybe there'll be more goodwill to find a way through them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I just also have to wonder, though, 10 days doesn't seem that long, but in your yeah. economy right now, it seems like an enormous amount of time to wait for another BOE hike, to wait for details yep. of an energy package, don't you think? I do, but but maybe that's the opportunity. Ten days of not having to think about those things, or doing maybe, it on the side without the public looking at it, basically. Well, precisely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the, I, the the problems are absolutely the the problems are absolutely enormous, and and we are now going to have to deal with it without the Queen. Now, in some ways, she doesn't play a massive role, and she's played less and less a role of late. But nevertheless, we are going to be doing it with untried leadership. Um, and that is and and that is significant. Maybe that leadership can pull it out of the bag. Maybe that leadership mm-hmm. can see this as an opportunity and take this opportunity. But they need to build trust and they need to build um, a, a sense of 
opportunity around this whole process. And I think if they could do that, fantastic. The chances of that happening, I don't know. But there is also the opposite risk, the symmetrical opposite risk, that it doesn't go well. Mm -hmm. The Liz Trust doesn't handle it well. And then we find ourselves with her discredited as a result of that, Mm -hmm. which will make all the other problems even more intractable. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like one of the biggest takeaways from the plan that she did announce was that this cap uh, on prices applied to anyone on the income scale. Like that the seems energy, to be yeah, the energy story. Yeah, yeah, like that seems to be the biggest takeaway of maybe it, where, where the, they the went reason. Wrong with the it. reason for that is is pretty straightforward. Sure, um, they didn't have the time to, to do anything they, different. They it's too hard. They did, it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. The chances of people that are desperately in need falling through the cracks w- would be greater the more complicated you make it. So if you if you make it a blanket coverage story, that then everybody is going to be lifted up by it. I suspect that the, there will be a winnowing out process that ultimately those who are most capable of bearing the burden will ultimately receive the less receive less aid but there is in the near term the risk that those with the most will continue to spend the most mm-hmm. this is linked to the unit price and therefore it, th- there is a in some ways a, a an opportunity to reduce consumption here but for those that are most well off that 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 will not feel that great mm-hmm. uh, it is a it is a huge bonus to the well off but I think it was the only real way of doing it. Mm-hmm. The, the process of doing it any other way would have just been too complicated and potentially too risky. We were talking about this earlier. Um, uh, Javier Blair Blass of Bloomberg Opinion wrote a really awesome piece and phrased it in a way where like, I didn't, I hadn't thought about it before. But at this point, due to the plan that she announced in terms of energy plan, the UK has a naked short on the yep. gas price. Meaning that there's, if the gas price all of a sudden continues to climb a lot higher with the cap there... The UK government has full exposure to that upside. Granted, they have full exposure to the downside. If all of a sudden prices fall, then they recoup some of those losses. But nobody in their right mind, like a trader, for example, or a business, would ever do that. <laughs> and this could be an enormous risk. They would do that, but they would hedge it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like uh, you'd hedge it. You'd never have a naked short like yeah, that. Yeah, precisely. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be in the position of having a naked short like this. The flip side of this, of course, we were talking about this earlier on Bloomberg Television, is that you will see a significant reduction in inflation as a result of this. Now, a lot of the interest bill that the UK has to pay is is attached to linkers, mm-hmm. tips as we as you would call them, interest um, in, interest rate sensitive bonds um, that the payout as interest uh, the payout a greater amount as uh, as inflation rises. And in some ways, if they can cap inflation the liability on that side will be reduced. And I think it was Samuel Toombs over at Pantheon was took it, put, putting this figure at something like $40 billion, That's not which, nothing. Which is not an insignificant amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yep, you could look at it that way too. So, it, But I think also the point is to both of these upside downsides know. is that we just don't know. No. <laughs> um, and as an and that's inv- why the Europeans are finding it so hard, so I think, to come to a solution as well. Yes, absolutely. And they even have it, it worse off in many ways. Because you have the, again, because the EU is not one government. You have all the separate governments and they all have to agree. So the structure yeah. and format of what the EU yeah. is is posing significant problems. Yeah. And I think finding the optimal solution, therefore, will be very, very difficult here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it'll be fascinating to to watch, ultimately, how this, how this works its way through. And you do wonder... Um, you do wonder whether or not they they ultimately will be forced into finding a they will be forced into finding a better solution by the price by the weather by something like mm-hmm. that happening. 
Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be something. Um, OK, so uh, Guy and I spoke to a lot of people about all of these different topics on television today. One in particular uh, was John Kampfner, executive director of Chatham House UK in the World Initiative. And we talked about the Queen's legacy. We talked about the difficult spot that the UK economy is in. Uh, and we talked about the UK's place in the world now that she's passed. One of the remarkable aspects of the Queen is simply, I scratch my head and I think about who in the world, uh, any celebrity, any sports star, any actor, anybody in the world, who would not have taken tea with the Queen? Who would not have wanted uh, to have their moment with her? I I had a remarkable day with her uh, about 10 years ago when I was uh, chairing an organization. And it is incredible. She had absolute stardust. She, She was an incredible projection of the UK into the world. And that wasn't wrapped up that much in the notion of British royalty. Maybe it was once upon a time, but no more. I think times have moved on from that. It was wrapped up in her personality. Um, She was soft power before Joe Nye invented the term soft power in in the late 80s. And so it's, it's, it's an incredible responsibility on her son, now King Charles, who has obviously, with a mixture of terrible fear and sadness, but also expectation, been waiting on this moment for a long time. He's had a lot of time to think about this. He certainly has. And in two hours' time, we will be listening to him speaking, his first official broadcast as monarch at 6 p.m. here in the UK. What are you expecting there? I mean, his walkabout um, with Camilla, now the Queen Consort, a couple of hours ago, uh, pretty much as soon as he had landed in London, um, outside Buckingham Palace, was pretty remarkable. He'd obviously again thought about that for some time. The amount of time he dwelt with people, he talked to people, he got a peck on the cheek from someone. It was a very, very good first uh, outing for him as King. I think he will seek in his speech to reflect the nation and the Commonwealth and, to a large degree, the world's sorrow um, at the death of the world's most famous person. Um, At the same time, I think he will want to provide an enormous amount of reassurance uh, to British people, just as you've said, who are uh, heading into and are already in an era of incredible political and economic turbulence, that he will be a reassuring figure at the top. John, uh, a few minutes ago, a motorcade arrived at Buckingham Palace. I I can't confirm that Prime Minister Truss was was in it, but it wouldn't surprise me that she is now meeting face-to-face with the new king. Queen Elizabeth maintained a distance but interested role in politics. How do you think Charles will manage that process? Uh, Just one thing, by the way. I mean, it is remarkable for Liz Truss. I mean, what an extraordinary week. What an extraordinary place in history that she will, whatever else she does, she will go down as as the last person to have had a public audience with the Queen. And that was in order to accept her job. And that audience in normal times would have taken place not in Scotland, but at Buckingham Palace. So for her, that's going to be a difficult period, just as she wants to get going in politics. Now, for 10 or 12 days, um, she isn't, and she has to preside in a very different capacity as head of government um, over this uh, very sensitive and, and difficult period. 
But Prince Charles has had a lot of experience at talking, not as monarch, um, but as, as heir and as Prince of Wales, to politicians, uh, UK politicians and senior leaders and figures from around the world. So I think he will settle into that relatively easily. What's interesting is the moment in time that all of this is also happening, John. Uh, UK is in the middle of its energy crisis. Liz Truss unveiled some of her plans um, just, yet, just the other day on that. King Charles has been very pro-environment, environmental protection, and he's made, he's made no bones of that. And I yeah. wonder how these two will, will interact on this topic. He's been asked uh, a few times, because he's been pretty outspoken, just as you said, on environment, um, controversially on architecture uh, in the past, on other issues in a way that his mother never was. And he was asked a few years ago in a TV interview, are you going to continue to be like that when you become king? And he said, absolutely not, um, that he will go, he will follow in the footsteps of his mother and uh, have private conversations with prime ministers and other people, but not in any way air their own views about the situation in public. Um, and the Queen absolutely stood by that. Now, whether King Charles um, can and will do that, having been a pretty forthright person on a few issues, on those issues that he cares passionately about, well, we will, we will wait and see, but it'll be an interesting dynamic. That that was part of our conversation with John Kaffner, executive director of Chatham House UK in the World Initiative. A really important voice, I thought, and really, really interesting to talk about the dynamics uh, that's happening within the UK economy as well. And I, and I feel like, Guy, we won't get any necessary, necessary clarity at 1 p.m., but I feel like the tone of what we hear from King Charles will be immensely important to everyone in the country and businesses also. Well, I just think everybody's looking for a, a just yeah, just something, just to get a sense. I I think he'll just talk about his mother, to be honest. I think he'll just talk about mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth. Um, they were very close. They had a very strong bond. This was his mother, and she is gone. And I think she he he will talk about her. Um, but he will, by doing so, project forward. What mm -hmm. comes next will be important as well. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson alongside Alex Steele in New York. Next week, next few days actually, incredibly busy. Let me just give you an idea, just a flavour of what is coming up. Alex, we've got, uh, we've got the Fed going into a blackout period uh, ahead of the next meeting. Tomorrow... Charles III will formally be pro pro proclaimed king. We've got the Accession Council meeting. They will formally uh, declare him king. Um, we've got the, the Fed meeting coming up. This Sunday is obviously September the 11th. We should never forget that. Uh, we've also got some big meetings coming up next week. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin and India's Narendra Modi are going to be meeting next week. I think that's really worth paying attention to. We've mm -hmm. also got CPI data out of the United States. Uh, it's out of the UK and the EU. We've also got retail sales data out of the US and the UK. And we get Chinese data as well. Um, the SALT conference kicks off. Uh, we've got the North American International Auto Show. Uh, and we've also got quadruple witching coming up. Ooh. Just to add a little bit of volatility Love into me. the system. Love me some quadruple witching. Also, my favorite, this is like my desert indicator, desert island indicator, is the UMIS. 
Hamish. We get um, current conditions, expectations, and then inflation expectations for the year and then for five to 10 years. And we've seen such a dramatic fall in gasoline prices, which you can assume would help sentiment. And you could assume them would also move lower those inflation expectations. If we don't get that, that's also going to be quite interesting. Um, Fed Chair Jay Powell specifically referenced inflation expectations in the UMISH as one of the reasons why they went 75 bips the last time. So this feels to be also quite pivotal, considering it'll just be sort of days away from the Fed's meeting. We will not have a Bank of England meeting, which is worth noting. So that is being postponed. But on the central bank fronts, uh, Isabel Schnabel is going to be speaking at the beginning of next week. I think she speaks at 8 a.m. on Monday. Um, So pay attention to that one. I think that's going to be interesting. She has certainly amped up the hawkish narrative around the ECB. She did so at Jackson Hole. We've had that 75 basis point hike from the ECB. We also get uh, Vilroy de Gawa uh, a, a little bit uh, later on in the week as well. I think and and Ursula von der Leyen, her State of the Union. A- and we get the von der Leyen State of the Union. But it's going to be really interesting to listen to the ECB speak as to whether or not we can lock in that 75, uh, that additional 75. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. It- it feels like the bar is higher and higher to not get that. I mean, even yeah. Christine Lagarde today, I feel like she quadrupled down uh, on that hawkish, uh, hawkish message, right? She was saying, uh, we won't let price expectations get out of control. Um, we are united to bring inflation back 2%. Rising inflation is a big concern. I mean, I feel like she was just reiterating everything she said yesterday, doubling down on it. Yeah. I tell you, a thought occurred to me, which I thought was quite interesting. I wonder whether this hawkish message is is meant for the markets, mm-hmm. it's meant for consumers, but I also wonder whether it's meant for politicians as well. I, we've got a massive inflation problem. You guys need to get to grips with this mm-hmm. energy situation and you need to get it done soon. And I wonder if there's a little bit of messaging coming through from the ECB on that front as well. Well, she made it very clear that the ECB was not bailing out or extending any line of credits to energy firms. She was like, that's a government, that's a political job. Like, that's but on you. She, so she can extend them to the banks. Yes. Um... And I wonder whether that's going to be the sort of transmission mechanism. We talk about transmission mechanisms. Maybe there's some sort of a deal to be done on extending cheap credit to the banks so the banks can then extend cheap credit or cheaper credit or some sort of deal to be done on what is happening with the um, w- with this liability and this, this risk story. Let's, um, yeah. let's get back and talk more about, about what is happening with the, uh, with the life of... Queen Elizabeth um, and the future of King Charles. Earlier, the Bluebird Daybreak anchors uh, caught up uh, with with somebody who is really quite important and a series of historians. Let's take a listen to what they had to say. Joining us now is Mary MacLeod, who is a former member of Parliament and policy advisor to Queen Elizabeth II. Good morning, Mary. Thank you so much for being with us. It is a sad and a historic moment for the people of Britain. How, in your view, will the Queen be remembered? Well, it's absolutely a real deep sense of loss across the United Kingdom and, you know, most of us, um, she's been there throughout our whole lives. So we have had that steadfastness um, and seen uh, her and and she carried with her, of course, such a history um, of of not just this country, but of of countries around the world too. Um, But she will be remembered, um, I think, really as an an inspiration. Um, I I grew up thinking I could achieve anything. There was a female monarch, a female prime minister. I mean, it's really, she has been there for for everyone throughout their lives. And it's her devotion, um, her life of service, a real selfless leader is how I think everyone is, is remembering her 
but it's her humility, her dignity, her grace, her warmth, her kindness, that dedication and the wisdom that came with it from all those years of service. Um, but very thoughtful, her curiosity about everyone she met and wanting to listen to them and hear them. And when you spoke to her, you thought you were the most important person to her in the room. Um, she really did listen and engage um, with humour as well, but really strong values. But that sense of duty um, came across above all else and, and she remained engaged and working until the very end. So I think she just touched the hearts of people around the world and united us all as a nation. Mary, you advised the Queen. We can hear the warmth in your voice when you talk about her. What are some of your personal memories of her? Well, I was in a working with the, the royal family um, just after the death of the Princess of Wales. Um, and, uh, and it really was um, a, a difficult time. But again, the wisdom that the Queen has shone through at every turn. I mean, if you look at all the things that I was um, proposing and suggesting in terms of changes to the monarchy of the royal family um, and briefing her on areas of national life, she absolutely listened, engaged and and kept changing and adapting the way they did things. And I think that tells, I think, leaders everywhere just how you keep relevant for the moment you're in because you have to look at, and she did, she looked at what people wanted and needed across the country. And that was her, that, again, that sense of duty that, that enabled her to be there for everyone. And that's why, you know, I sort of feel she was our strength and stay through that. But I remember the first dinner that I had with her when I met her and it was a very small private dinner and they, and I just laughed the whole evening because she had so many stories to tell. She had this wealth of history behind her and the people that she'd met and the situation that she'd been in and so you know we she told story after story and she definitely had a real sense of sense of humor and and, and could really tell um those stories and and that's why everywhere she went you know she she loved in, engaging with people because those are the things that she would recount at, at later times um and it's with you know some lots of examples of immense kindness where she just thought um of others rather than herself well, upon the death of Queen Elizabeth uh, II, of course, the new head of state is King Charles III. What sort of king do you think Charles will be? Well, I think he's learned from the best. So I think her qualities will live on in, in our new king, King Charles III. And he has been by her side supporting her. And I think that is the best learning that you could, could ever have. Um, he's seen her deal with the good times, the difficult times. He's listened to her wisdom and advice. And therefore, you know, he takes this new role on with that wealth of experience now that he has been part of um, for as long as he's been, been, been alive. And I think that to me, um, and also, I mean, we've seen over the years where he has been involved in so many interesting campaigns where it's the incredible work he's done with the Prince's Trust or even been a real campaigner and um, champion of environmental change, which, which he did before it was 
you know, something everyone else was talking about. So he certainly has led the way on, on many things. And I think he will absolutely um, follow in her footsteps and and do the country proud. Mary Cloud speaking to the Daybreak team a little bit earlier on, sharing some of her thoughts uh, when it comes to when it comes to Prince Charles and the Queen. Um, Alex, in a couple of minutes time, less than a couple of minutes time. No, exactly couple of minutes time we are going to hear from king charles it's not expected to be a long speech that he is going to deliver we understand that it has been pre-recorded uh, but it will be played out at 6 p.m here in the uk